0: Thanks for listening to the Tower Hill Church Podcast. Our prayer is that today's message will challenge and inspire you to pursue Jesus and to love people to life. So we're going to get into the Word of God. How many are excited to be in church this morning? Yeah, it is a blessing to be in the house of the Lord, to be with each other and to worship and to get into the Word together. So if you have your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter 6. And this morning, I want to talk about inheriting God's promise. Inheriting God's promise. How many have been in a position at some point in your life where someone has made you a promise? Somebody said, I'll promise, I'll get it done, or I'll promise, I'll do this or do that. How many has been in a spot like that where somebody's made a promise to you? Okay, like six people. Y'all haven't lived. Y'all haven't lived. Uh, How many have had uh, people break a promise? How many people have had, more people have had promises bro- broken, okay. Uh, this is the thing that I've noticed, right? We all have had, whether you raise your hand or not, we all have had a person break a promise to us at some point. There's been a moment in our, in our life where we had a person who promised us something, and, and in that moment, we said, okay, and, and then eventually we might have not seen that come to pass. We might have not seen that happen. And what does it do in our heart? It causes a little bit of doubt for the next time someone makes a promise. The next time that somebody comes to us and says, hey, I promise I'm gonna get that down, or I'm gonna get it done, I'm I'm gonna work on it, it's gonna be finished, or I promise I'm gonna be there. And all of a sudden, we go back to the previous experience and we think, I wonder if they're actually gonna do it this time. You know, I wonder if it's gonna be like the last thing that I encountered, the last person, or I wonder if it's gonna be like that. And what happens is we often can get that way with the Bible. We can get that way with the word of God. Because sometimes our experience, you know, experience is a weighty thing. What you experience dictates a lot of the things that you do in your life. And so if you've experienced broken promises, there are times that you could open up and read the Bible and see something that, that God is declaring in his word, and you think, I wonder if that's true for me. You know, I, I wonder if God would really do that. I, I see it here, you know, I, I see that promise in the word, but I, I wonder if if God would really do that for me. I've I, I, This person's disappointed me, this person's disappointed me, I've been through this and that. You know, it, is God gonna do the same thing? So I wanna talk about five things this morning, five aspects or things that we have to really recognize or understand about us inheriting The promises of God this all kind of stems out of what we talked about last week the first or the last couple of verses we hit last week so I just want to read those to recap but in Hebrews 6 verse 11 it says our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent instead you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Can we just pray? Let's take a moment to pray and just ask the Lord to to speak to our hearts. Lord, we come to you right now and, and we just want to know what it is that you're speaking to us this morning. Father, we want your heart, we want your word to go forth in power. We want your word to speak to us. It's living, it's active, it can pierce our hearts and that's what we desire, Lord. If there are things in our life that need to line up with the Bible that aren't lining up, God, speak to us, pierce our hearts, Lord. Help us, God, to respond to the word that you desire to speak. Help us to be encouraged and to share this word with others. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So we're gonna run through five things, five things that we have to realize to understand about inheriting God's promise. The first is we have to know the promises that God has given us. We must know the promises that God has given us. Look at Hebrews six, verse 13 and 14. It says this, when God made his promise to Abraham, Since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. This promise happened in in Genesis 15. So God God made a promise to Abraham, and and it says Abraham, if you go to Genesis 15, God changes his name um, to mean Father of nations. Don't quote me on that. That's just what I remember from my head. So I could be wrong because I just thought of it right now. But Genesis 15, 4 to 6. This is the moment that God shows up. Abram's looking at him and going, God, I have all of this wealth. You've blessed me immensely. But what good is it? Because I don't have an heir, I don't have a son that I can actually. Give an inheritance too. It's gonna go to a servant of mine because there's no heir. And God answers him in verse four and it says, you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up at the sky, count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. That promise that God gave to Abraham gave him something to stand on. It gave him hope, it gave him something. God said something and now he had a reference point to go back to and say, God, you've promised this. You know, I I was doing some thinking and I, I was thinking about, you know, a thought came to me as I was preparing, I wonder how many people are anxious or have fear or worry in their life. And so I just looked it up, how many people uh, are anxious in the in, uh, United States? And there are reportedly 40, over 40 million people that suffer from anxiety, fear, worry in, in the United States, just the United States. There are like 328 million people here in the United States right now. So over one in 10 people, just over one in 10 people, you're gonna find a person, one out of every 10 that is anxious and and filled. So that's like 12 or 13 people in this room this morning, right? 12 or 13 people statistically in this room are, are, are struggling with anxiety and fear. Now obviously, let me put it this way. The world doesn't know that there are verses in the Bible that say that peace is found in Christ Jesus. Therefore, because they do not know that this promise available to them, they cannot walk in the peace of Jesus Christ. My point is that there are scripture verses, promises from God in the word that we cannot walk in if we don't know them. We cannot walk in a promise that we don't know. And so that's why it's so important to to assess where you are right now in your faith, to assess where you are in your life, because if you need joy this morning, there's a promise in the word about that. If you need provision this morning, there's a promise in the word for that. If you want power in witnessing and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's a promise in the word about that. But you have to dig into the Bible. You have to discover what God is saying to have a promise that you can stand on to have a promise that you can walk in. If you don't know the promise, you can't walk in it. Does that make sense? The second thing we have to understand, we have to acknowledge that we play a part in receiving God's promise. As much as it would be amazing that God would just give us like flat, straight up promises, like no matter what, it's gonna happen. You'll see in the Bible, there are a lot of unconditional promises. Are unconditional, and there are also a lot of conditional promises, which is the point I wanted to make. There are conditional promises in the Bible where the Bible says, if you do this, then I will do this. If you do this, then I will do that. That's a conditional promise in the scriptures. So what does that mean? It, it means that God has made a promise, but we have a part to play. And so when you look at Abraham, look at verse 15. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Man, you read that verse, and that seems pretty good. Just just wait patiently, and then you'll receive it. But for those of you who know, Abraham received this promise at 75 years of age that he was going to have a son. Who's 75 in here? Can we just, you want to, did you see my kids running around here before service? 75 years of age. All right, but that's when, he, that's when he was promised. He didn't get it till he was 100. I'm talking 25 years to wait on a promise from God. 25 years. Why? Man, you go into scripture. Why does God make us wait? Why does God make us wait on a promise? Why would you promise it and then make us wait on it? Because it's all over the Bible. Joseph, if you know who Joseph is, he was a Hebrew boy, sold into slavery. He had a dream about his brothers, his family bowing down to him. He didn't know what it means. He was a cocky kid for sure. I mean, you can kind of sense that in the scriptures. He was kind of like, hey guys, bow down to me. Anyway, his brothers kind of backfired, sold him into slavery. That was a bad thing. And then he was in slavery. He was in prison. But eventually, he became a prince in Egypt. And 20 years later, In the midst of a famine, who does he see coming through the door for some food? His brothers. And what did they do? They bowed down to him. 20 years from the moment that God put a dream in his heart that he didn't understand to the moment that he saw it come to pass. King David, anointed king as a shepherd boy, had to wait 15 years until he stepped into the position of king. And think about Jesus himself. He didn't step into his ministry until he was 30. Waiting. Why, why do we wait? Why do we have to wait? I, I think there's several reasons. I, there's a lot of them. I'm, I'm gonna hit a few this morning. One, I think, is that God is trying to get us to see things supernaturally and not naturally. Because what happens when we read a promise in God's word, you know, one that is often quoted as Philippians 4, uh, six. Don't be anxious about anything. I use the example of forty million people, right? So don't be anxious about anything. But with everything, come to God in prayer with thanksgiving. Submit those requests to prayer uh, to God, rather than in prayer. And the peace of God is yours, and it'll it'll blow your mind. That's my version of it. But it'll pass. It'll pass your understanding. It'll go way further than what you could imagine. So how do we? How do we deal with when we, when we read that scripture verse and then all of a sudden we, we're not seeing peace happen in our life? We're not seeing our heart filled with peace and all of a sudden we're, now we're conflicted because what I see in reality is not matching up with what the Bible says. Sometimes time is the very thing that we need to solidify God's word and not what we see. Because the longer we don't see it, the more faith that has to build on the inside of us. The more growth in our character that has to happen on the inside of us in order to trust what God says over what we see. You know, maybe you have a child that's rebellious. You know, maybe there's a healing that you need in your body or you are facing anxiety or fear, depression. You're bumping up against things in your life There are supernatural realities that supersede natural realities. I'm gonna tell you that when Jesus stepped on water, there is the natural law of physics and gravity that were defied at the moment that he took a step onto water impossibilities become possible when you understand that you do not live, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that we don't live by what we see, we live by faith. We live by believing. So that when you understand that yes, there are natural realities, there are things that are happening in our lives right now, there are things that we are facing right now that are very real. There are promises even from God that we are not seeing. We could be seeing the opposite, in fact, right now, at this very moment. But you have to understand that there are supernatural laws that supersede natural loss, that even though it may look a certain way, even though the doctor says there's nothing they can do, it's terminal, you're done, that we serve a God who has a supernatural reality that is different than a doctor's natural reality, amen? amen. That nothing that man says against us can affect us if God has spoken, spoken something different. Do we know those supernatural realities? Do we declare the promises of God over our life. It gets discouraging and it's easy to get discouraged. I mean, look at, if you look at Romans chapter four, imagine this at 75 years old, waiting 25 years. Verse 20 says this in Romans chapter four, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promised. God is able to do whatever he promised. Man, that's some great faith at 75 years old. You know, there's a scripture that says that even though he considered his body dead, he was gonna lean on what God said. He knew that Sarah's womb was barren, but he was gonna believe what God said. It's incredible. God's trying to develop within us throughout that time, that waiting period, The ability to trust in the supernatural reality rather than what's real. Isn't that amazing? You know, you don't have to be in denial in the sense that, you know, there are some people that'll say, well, you just pretend like it's not happening. Well, no, you're in reality going through something. And to pretend that it's not happening doesn't help. But to recognize when a natural reality you know, say, say you're sick in your body right now. That's a natural reality. You are sick in your body, okay? To say that that's not happening doesn't help you. It doesn't help anyone around you. But to recognize that the blood of Jesus paints and creates a different supernatural reality for your body than a natural reality. Does that mean, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? That the blood of Jesus now provides you with a, a, an option that supersedes what you're actually facing here in reality. Tracking? That the word of God is more powerful than our physical circumstances. That's why it calls us to live by faith and not by what we see. The second thing that I see is we wait because we always want to rush the process. Anybody enjoy waiting? Nobody from first service did. Let's see if anybody likes waiting here. No no hands. So yeah, it's a pretty consistent thing across the board. We just don't like to wait. Things happen fast. We need it to happen fast. Need it to happen now. But I guarantee you any food you eat, any car that you drive in, any building, we're sitting in a building right now, any building that you walk through, any phone that you message or, or have a conversation on, Everything has a process. Everything. What is God doing in you right now? What step are you at in the process? I share with first service, I, I, I share this with our young adults all the time. I use an example of phone because, you know, they're always on them, you know, so might as well. But that phone performs Lots of different functions, and that phone has a a particular process that it has to go through in order to function the way that it does. If you rush the process, then your phone doesn't work. If you skip the process, then what is intended, how it's supposed to end up, it gets messed up. And so how many times God is working in our hearts. He's trying to refine us. There are certain things, there are certain steps, lessons that he's trying to teach us in the waiting. And that we get so focused on getting to the end that we forget that we need right now to be able to support what God has for us in the future. Man, I have a lot of friends in college that I, that I see, that I've talked with, and how a lot of young people, they want to be a million years ahead of where they are right now. You know, we, we want, you know, we want to, <laughs> I uh, was talking with somebody the other day. And uh, they were retired. And we were having this conversation. And he said, it's amazing to think that what I've worked 35, 40 years for, you know, some kids coming out of college just want what I have right now. But I worked 35 years, 40 years to get to this spot. And the reason that I'm here is because I went through a process to get here. Do you see what I'm saying? That if you skip the process, you're not gonna be able to handle what God has for you at the end. Some of you might feel a call to ministry that you've delayed, that that dream has died inside of your heart. But God wants to raise it up. He wants to bring you to that place. Maybe you got focused on it and you wanted to get there quicker than what God wanted for you, and all of a sudden you're tripping on your feet and things didn't work out the way that they were supposed to, and then you get discouraged and walk away from it. The process makes the promise happen. And Abraham was learning. You know, I I look at Genesis chapter 16 and you see that Sarah tried to force the process. And if you turn there, you can read it. Chapter 16, verse 2, this is what she says to Abraham. She says, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have a ch- a children through her. It's, God said he was going to do it, but it wasn't happening. Now, I want you to think about this. The moment she says this is 10 years after God makes the original promise. 10 years. God, you promised this, but it's not happening. You promised it. I'm not seeing it. You promised it, but, but it's going the opposite direction, God. And then she believes the lie. Look at verse 2. She says, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Was that true? No. No, what did God say? God said, your descendants will be many, as numerous as the son. Genesis 15, you will have a son of your own. That was what God said. Sometimes, in that waiting period, we believe the lie. We believe the lie that because God hasn't done it yet, he doesn't want it for us anymore. Because we haven't seen it, that now it's no longer his will for us. And then we try and, and we try and make it happen. Well, I guess he gave up on it, so let's, because we're so used to other people giving up on us that quick, or that long. I mean that's a long time 10 years. I mean she saw 15 years ago. So could you imagine being in that place some of you are. Some of you have been waiting trusting God for, for decades, years to see things happen. I want to encourage you do not give up on the promises of God. I was thinking about time and how it tests us. Think about how man-made things decay and erode with time. You know, a vehicle, especially up here in New England, woo, salt, it's great. Makes your car rusty. But, like, think about how time makes your vehicles decay, erode. And then I started thinking about a tree. Like, what does time do to a tree? It actually makes it stronger. Its roots grow deeper. Its base gets wider. Its cover gets wider. The winds will blow up against it. It'll bend, but it'll never break. You know, there are are trees that can live in the right conditions for like over a thousand years. That's crazy. Man-made things, time will erode and decay. God-made things, time will strengthen and build up. How many things in our life are initiated by us How many times God makes a promise in his word, but then we've got to get it done our way because it's not happening fast enough. Taco Bell takes me more than four minutes. There's a problem. Right? I mean, come on. It's a taco. Just put the meat in there, fold it up, and give it to me. You have these things pre-made anyway. I don't understand. We get so impatient, but we don't recognize that God is working in a process. And when it's His work, that's what builds us up. That's what makes us solidified. And the other thing we have to realize, obviously after understanding and knowing those promises, playing our part, being faithful, you have to understand that God is faithful to fulfill His promise. Look at verse 16. It says, now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who receive the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Think about that, that God makes a promise, why? The Bible says it right here, so that who he makes a promise to can know for sure he will never change his mind. Amen? Look at verse 18. So God has given us these two things, his promise and his oath. And these two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Think about this, his promise and his oath. There's the the thing that he's promised and just in case you're, you're struggling with that, he made another promise to fulfill that promise. So here's my promise. And just in case, I'm going to give you, I vow, I I take an oath to fulfill my promise. These two things do not change. His promises do not change, and his vow to fulfill those promises do not change, because God cannot lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. When you get that in your spirit, that God does not lie, his promises do not change, it produces a hope on the inside of you, which is number four. God's promises bring stability to our life. Verse 19 says that this hope, right, the hope that is produced by the promises of God, it's a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. How many fish? How many have a boat? Actually, how many have a boat? One, two. Got a few blessed people in here. Woo! So, so I, I don't have a boat. You know, I, I rarely go out on a boat. I, you know, but I know what an anchor is. How many know what an anchor is? An anchor keeps a boat stable in the midst of rough waters. You don't need an anchor when the sea is like glass. You don't need an anchor when things are going okay. You don't need an anchor when there's no wind, when there's no waves. You need an anchor to keep you in place when the waves are gonna push you, when, when the wind is gonna push you. This is the word of God to us. This, this is the promise of God in our lives, that we need the promises of God and the hope that's produced because we know when he says it, he's gonna do it. That hope grounds us so that when the world is pushing up against us and telling us, it's not gonna work out for you. No, you know, I don't know why you're, you're standing on the Bible. That, that doesn't make any sense to me. It's probably not gonna go that way. You better prepare yourself. You better prepare yourself. When the world starts pushing up against, that anchor keeps you grounded. When the waves crash against, when the winds push, the anchor keeps you grounded. Now imagine with me now, if the anchor is securely fastened to the floor of the ocean but not connected to the boat. What good is the anchor if it is not connected to the boat? And how many know that that we have an anchor for our souls? The word of God, the hope that is produced by the word of God, it is an anchor for our souls. And here it is, sitting right in our living room, sitting right on our nightstand, sitting right next to us in our homes, maybe on a bookshelf. And it's it's the anchor for our souls, but we're not connected to it. We sometimes drift away from the one thing that brings stability in every situation. We drift away from the one thing that's gonna get us through and keep us stable in the midst of tumultuous times, in the midst of, of times when things are pushing up against us. You've gotta be connected to the word of God. You have to have it so deeply within you that the moment that something comes at you that's contrary to it, that the word of God just spills out of your mouth. That when the enemy came to tempt Jesus, when the enemy tried to drag him away, he was so full of the word of God that as soon as the enemy came at him with something that was false, something that was gonna lead him astray, the word of God just spilled out of his mouth. It is written, it is written, it is written. Do we know the truth of God's word? Is it in us so deeply that it anchors us in every situation? I'm just going to ask the worship team to, to come up, and I, I want to close with this, last, with this last point. Through Jesus, we now have access to even greater promises through Jesus we have access to even greater promise I see some people that nearly fainted just now some of you observant ones you just noticed you just noticed it didn't you it says six verse 620 to chapter 722 I saw you, I saw I saw some of you were like oh all right I'm a Jesus it's gonna be the longest last point no it's not I want to go through something very briefly with you Very briefly, it says this, Hebrews 6.20, Jesus has already gone in there for us. What is he talking about? God's inner sanctuary, we just read it. He's already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, who is that? Melchizedek is this really mysterious dude. He was in the Bible and he's mentioned three times. Genesis, Psalms, and Hebrews. Melchizedek, let me give you a brief summary verses one through 10 of chapter seven. Just a little bit about who he is. His name means king of justice. He was actually a king of a place called Salem, which means peace. He was also a high priest. When Abraham won a battle, he came and he actually offered a tenth of his plunder to Melchizedek, he tithed in essence to this guy, and Melchizedek blessed him. There was no record of a mother or father for this guy. No ancestors of any kind. He had no record of a birth or a death. So let me just paint this picture. He was a king of justice, a king of peace. He was a high priest. He had no beginning, he had no end. Starting to sound like anybody that we know. That the writer of Hebrews is saying that this guy is a type of Christ. That he's, he's painting a picture of Jesus. Well why does that matter? Why does it matter that some guy Melchizedek is sort of resembling Christ? Further on in chapter seven, it shows us in verse 11, it talks about the priesthood of Levi. This is where the writer's getting at and, and this is all gonna come full circle, you'll understand in a minute, but if the priesthood of Levi on which the law was based could have achieved the perfection that God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood? with a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of Levi and Aaron. Who's he speaking to? The priest, Jesus Christ, our high priest. Verse 18, if you skip down, it says, the old requirement about the priesthood, it was set aside because it was weak, it was useless. The law never made anything perfect. But now, We have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. There were many priests under the old system for death prevented them from remaining in office. But get this, because Jesus lives, just I want you to see something here. How many times forever is in this verse? Because Jesus lives forever. His priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once in forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. What does this matter? This matters because now we have a better covenant with God, a better covenant than the old one, that through Jesus Christ. Do you know that forever counts like right now? that under forever, the moment that we're living in, that we are currently living under forever and will always be living under forever. That at this very moment, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, look at it. He lives forever to intercede with God on our behalf. On our behalf, that now, when you think about the promise of God, yes, it is so important that we know it, Yes, it is so important that we play our part. It is so important that we know that God is faithful to His promise. It is so important to to know that it brings stability to our lives. But we have a God in heaven whose name is Jesus Christ, who is interceding on our behalf. For what? For God's will to be accomplished in our lives. What is His will? His will is His promise. His will is the word of God for our us. If we don't know it, we can't walk in it. But Jesus is interceding. He's running, he's running there for you. He's, he's, he's speaking to the Father on your behalf. I know right now that they don't see it. I know that right now they may be discouraged. I know that right now they don't see what you're doing, but but keep working in them, God. Keep working them. Keep moving. They're going to see it. They're going to get there. They're going to see it come to pass because you're faithful, and I'm going to intercede on their behalf because I know it's what you want to do in their life. Let's stand to our feet. If there is a promise that God has given you, maybe you've lost hold of it if there's a promise in God's word for your circumstance, I encourage you, live by what this says, not by what you see. I I feel it welling up in my soul that God just has a heart for the discouraged this morning. For those who are weary in well-doing, The Bible says in Galatians 6, 9, don't be weary. Don't be weary for doing good. For in time, get it, in time, you will receive a harvest if you do not give up. Come on. We can't give up when we don't see it. We can't give up when it doesn't work the way that we think it should. We can't give up. If we know God has spoken it, we can't give up this morning. So if you feel that in your heart, that the Holy Spirit just showed up and kind of knocked on your door this morning. He loves you. He's encouraging you this morning. He has a plan for you. Could you raise your hand and just say, this is me. This is where I'm at. I've grown weary. What God has promised will come to pass. I was talking with Pastor Andy before or after last service, and God always does what he says he's going to do. Think about the person of Jesus Christ. We're gonna get there in a few weeks in Hebrews 11. But all of them were waiting for the promised Messiah. Because, and they all passed away before it happened. But God is always good for his promise.